Welcome to Homicide, the podcast. I'm Kevin. And I'm Brandon. And we are your <laughs> fabulous, amazing, gay hosts of this exciting new true crime podcast. Hi, Brandon. Yeah, hi. We may be a few years uh, late to the craze, but we decided to jump on the bandwagon. I know. And this really weird thing is happening to me right now where I want to be uh, on SNL, but like in the skit called Delicious Dish. Hello and welcome to the Delicious Dish. I don't know why. It's the microphone. It is the microphone. Yeah. It's the um, ASMR aspect. Which I called ASLR earlier. Okay, Brandon, I want to introduce our amazing yes. producer, Anna. Hi. Oh my God. Oh my Hi. God. Guys, she has her own microphone too. I feel so official over here. You are. You are 100% <laughs> official, which is kind of fun. Anna and I actually met in a, in a podcast class. Hello. We met in an improv class. Yeah. That's much better. And she's funny as fuck and talented and I love her. And here she is producing our podcast. So hi. Oh, thank you. I'm the one over here pushing the buttons. <laughs> Yay. So if you listen to our intro you or trailer, you already know that we just love murder so much and that we wanted to put just a little gay spin and twist. Our own little, our own little gay twist. Yeah, some flair and sparkle and murder. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, because they all go together so well. They do. But podcasts sometimes that have way too long of an intro really annoy me. So I think that we should just maybe dive into our very first murder. Let's do it. It's a year in the making. I started my notes September of last year oh my for God. this first episode. Yeah, let's so. actually address that for just a second. We were going <laughs> to produce this podcast last year at this time and then didn't yeah shit just happened yeah lots of shit happened but a little bit about us again kevin brandon we're married gay and married so we're gay married married. uh, (laughs) which is great not just normal married gay married gay married well we need to separate (laughs) that out for all of the people who don't love homosexuals how the flow of our of our podcast is going to go is we're going to each come to the table with a murder that we found and neither one of us really knows entirely the murder except for my first one just because we have some personal experience because kevin spilled it to me already that too i was too excited guys but we're going to go through it uh, each of us telling each other and reacting the real way and just one each episode we'll have some guests we'll do the thing it's gonna be exciting and fun we'll have some themes yeah and every every week we'll try to do a different theme if not we'll just be like screw it we liked these ones speaking of which today's theme is what well since we decided to do this over a year ago we were living full-time in tampa florida at the time so we said why not do Tampa murders. Tampa, Florida. Tampa's an actually pretty cool city in a weird, weird For state. Florida. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But we are recording in New York City right now because we also live in New York City. Yes, we're a little bit bougie. No, we're not that wealthy, but we do like to live <laughs> in two places. We bought a really cheap house in Tampa, which I'll actually explain about because my murder is very much related to our neighborhood. Do you want to just I do. start? Go for it. Okay. So Brandon and Anna, because Anna's here as well, and all of you listening, thank you for listening. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Thank you for being a friend. I was going to say round of applause, but it was really long. I and feel it's like, like you're like, talking no. to your animals when you say thank you. Everyone <laughs> yes, we do have Marty, our Boston Terrier, and Kay. Both sleeping um, off screen. Both are, uh, yeah, off screen, but right by us because that's their life. <laughs> I guess we're good dads. I, I suppose yeah. so. Okay. So. I'm going to talk about the Seminole Heights serial killer of Tampa. I know. So (laughs) interestingly enough, all of these killings happened in the fall of 2017. The serial killer's name is Howell Donaldson III. I did put a couple of uh, facts in here, which I thought was uh, compelling. And that's how many, so how many people do you have to kill? Do you know this? Do either of you know this? How many people do you have to kill to be considered a serial killer? 
Isn't it something like five? Oh my god, no, that's way like too much. Like Is it two? two? Okay, like so it's three. Okay, yeah. so, <laughs> so somebody established that. Oh my, okay, you killed one. Got it, got it. Two, got it. Oh, three. Oh my god, you're a serial killer. <laughs> so uh, three or more killings and you become a serial killer. And Howell actually killed four. Oh, so, motherfucker, is a yeah, serial killer. I remember this one. Yeah. This was news all over Tampa. It was so intense. With that, I also think that this is an interesting fact as well, that 82% of American serial killers, what race do you think that they are? Oh, they're for sure white men. 100% white. <laughs> so, what's interesting about this case is how old Donaldson III actually happens to be a black man. And so, I, I thought that the numbers in general were really interesting. Uh, 82% of American serial killers are white, 15% black, and 2.5% are Hispanic. By the way, I pulled this from the U.S. Department of Justice. She comes with facts. I do, I do. <laughs> I'm going to cite that. But it comes from this Encyclopedia of Modern Serial Killers from 1990. Oh. She's a little out of date. Oh, that's a little bit. Thank you. I think that white people are actually like 95% at this point. And I'm sure like yeah. a lot of our listeners weren't born then. In 1990? 1990. I mean, even Brianna, our niece, she was born in You just gave away our age. I mean, everybody could see the white in our beard. <gasps> it's not like it's that Brandon, unnoticeable uh, that we're not. <laughs> well, now we have to talk about it. How old anymore. are you? Okay, 36. Why are you, are you calling me out like that, though? You just so called it out. Absolutely old, sir. <laughs> okay, I'm 37. <laughs> anyway, so to break this one down a little bit, because it's it didn't happen that long ago, so 2017, I feel behooved to explain to people a little bit about Tampa and Seminole Heights. And also, that's a good word. Yeah, thank you. But also talk about Ybor, Ybor City in Tampa, just because there's like deep, deep, deep history. First off, it's in the South, but a deep history just in that area anyway. So first and foremost, the area, because it was settled in 1823, but technically it was occupied by indigenous peoples, indigenous peoples before that. Indigenous peoples who occupied the area in Tampa Bay were the Minnesota, Tokubaga, which also was known as the Makos, Makoso. I'm going to butcher these. The Pahoy, the Calusa, and the Yudzita. Mm, that's a lot of tribes out here. I know. Out there. Out, out there. there. We're not there right now. <laughs> uh, in 1824, Fort Brook. That was established by the U.S. Army um, in 1824, which is close to where Tampa's convention center is now. And if you've been to Tampa, it's like in the downtown area right on the water in the bay. Actually very gorgeous over there. But that is actually close to where Fort Brook originally was established, which it was established there because... Uh, people wanted to protect themselves from the Seminole population that was that inhabited the area much after the Spaniards came in and like killed everybody with their yeah, you know, European diseases. <laughs> the Civil War sent Tampa into a disarray in the 1880s, which I thought was really compelling because I feel like when we moved there in 2017, it was also a little bit in disarray, but like coming back. Yeah. Like I remember Tampa when I did the Disney College program, the internship there, I remember them saying that. Tampa was like not where you went. Yeah. When I, I went to school in Sarasota, which is just south, and people would go up there and everyone would talk about how awful it was and how shady Ebor City was. And then when we moved there, I was like, it's what are, what are people talking about? Yeah, I know. It was kind of cute, but it was a little edgy. Also, we lived in Brooklyn. That's true. Uh, in the past, which I thought was like very bohemian and just like, I don't know, it was edgy. So Tampa reminded me of that. Yeah. Specifically Ebor City. But anyway. Tampa was originally called Tampa Town, which I think is really weird. But more importantly, Ebor, which is such a cool fucking part of Tampa. It's like this huge brick city. It's styled like, like the French Quarter. It in, is. Uh, yeah. New Orleans. Lots of like music venues and restaurants and like clubs and just cool shit. 
But anyway, Ybor City was established in 1886, which Brandon and I know, but was settled by a Cuban cigar manufacturer, or a whole bunch of them actually, but specifically by Vincente Martinez Ybor and Ignacio Haya, mm-hmm. which I didn't know that. There's a hotel, like this cute little boutique hotel in Ybor called uh, yeah, hotel, hotel Haya. So cute, gorgeous. You don't feel like you're in Florida at all. Also, Tampa in general doesn't feel like Florida, no. which is kind of why I like it because... Florida is an interesting place, but Ybor City specifically, and actually the surrounding areas, which includes like Seminole Heights, which I'll get back to, that area was actually all immigrants from Spain, Cuba, Italy, and Germany. What's crazy about Tampa is that it went from, in 40 years, it went from a thousand residents all the way up to a hundred thousand. Oh, wow. Which is like, that's a major growth girl. It is. Yeah, they were doing something right. It's anyway. the cigars. <laughs> exactly. So the 1920s, here's where shit gets funky. The 1920s. Ybor City became incredibly overrun with crime and corruption. Like where the corruption was like, it bled into the police force and the like lawyers, like just across the board was pretty bad. But it's also, also during that time, which Florida is interesting. There's no basements in Florida, which I grew up in Colorado. No, because it's like, it's at sea level. Correct. But that's still weird to me because I grew up <laughs> near mountains. So I'm like, ew, where's the basement? But... <laughs> Ebor dug out tunnels underneath because during prohibition they would sneak in yep. all you know alcohol and drugs <laughs> and all this kind of shit. Love this history lesson thank we're getting you, right now. Thank you. <laughs> so Tampa in general, I should like be hired by by like the city of Tampa or like right. visit Tampa Bay because I'm like giving all these like oh my god go visit. <laughs> With that, there's cool areas like Ebor, Water Street, Hyde Park, Bayshore Boulevard. Like there's just a it's a cool city in general. It's rich in culture, music, art. Uh, oh my god! And the cool thing about Ebor is that there's a roosters chickens just everywhere everywhere like roaming the streets like you gotta pause to let like a group of chickens like <laughs> fucking pass also they're protected yeah you can um, get fined you can't and we know who actually anything. runs the organization that protects them but anyway really cool area with that let's talk about seminole heights so seminole heights is a neighborhood that's right beside so it's ebor city yeah ebor city and then there's a an area called vm ebor and then it goes into seminole heights so seminole heights is this area of tampa that was a big focus for the city with all of these bungalow homes, like California style bungalows that were made out of wood in Florida <laughs> with hurricanes. Anyway. Hey, we have one and it's still we surviving. Do so we do have one. They did something right. <laughs> they did something right. But with that, Seminole Heights is like a charming neighborhood that also has a lot of art and restaurants and just like cool hip people in general that occupy that, that area. It's very progressive, pretty liberal. I would yep. say in 2017, Brandon and the I year actually moved we there. just moved. Yes. Brandon, do you remember when we moved there? I do. We were, uh, Kevin was actually living, we were living apart from each other. He was living in South Florida, still working at the agency. No, dark, we at. weren't like separated or there no, was, it was, it was because we were moving from South Florida to Tampa. Yes. And so for nine months, Kevin still worked at his An past agency. agency. Yeah, which and is he would when commute every weekend. Exactly. So during that time, we bought our house in, I think, August yep. of 2017. Also, we're in New York, so if you can hear any alarms or sirens, alarms, sirens <laughs> somebody is dying somewhere and they'll probably be on our podcast. Oh God, stop it. Anyway, I'm kidding. So, with that, uh, <laughs> uh, yes, yes, that ma'am. That was amazing. <laughs> that worked very well. It did. Although the twinkle would have been really fucking funny, too. Uh, oh. 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 <laughs> okay, so Cinderella of death. That's oh, awful. Oh, my God. It makes sense, though, for a gay podcast. Back to it. Serious face. Okay, so bought our house in August of 2017. October 9th of 2017. Seminole Heights forever changed. 
dun, dun, for dun. us. The 9th of 2017, Benjamin Edward Mitchell, who was 22, was waiting to board a city bus to see his, uh, his girlfriend. He was an amateur rapper, also a college student that was studying business and philosophy. And as he's waiting for the bus, all of a sudden, he got shot four times, randomly. Just out of nowhere. Yep. And obviously died. The interesting thing about this, this first murder, was that it was caught on a security camera. Which I don't remember at the time. I don't but, either. Yeah. So kind of back up to the to the Honald Don- Honald Howell <laughs> Donaldson the third. So remember that name for just a hot second. But October 9th, 2017, first victim, Benjamin Edward Edward Mitchell, was killed. Right? Yeah. What's interesting about the area though is that because it was a transitional area, there was there was a lot of crime. And so it wasn't it was alarming, but it wasn't as maybe alarming as it started to become. Yeah. So just a few because days it, later. The area is, is, there's just a lot of people and it's active. Yeah, and yeah. yeah it's yeah. right in the same area Carol Baskin walked down the street. Oh my God, I was going to bring Tiger that King. up, Brandon. Ah! Okay, if you watched Tiger King, there was this moment where Carol Baskin was like, I met my husband on Nebraska Avenue. Okay, listen, Nebraska Avenue is a place where a whole bunch of sex workers are, um, a whole bunch of drugs are. Like it is not... If you're familiar with Denver, Colorado, it's like the Colfax Avenue of Tampa, Florida, maybe worse. Like it is shady as fuck. Anyway, so clearly Carol Baskin, love you, girl. Actually, I don't, but (laughs) we know you were a sex worker. Okay. So anyway, moving on from Carol. There's nothing wrong with it, by the way. (laughs) No, there's not. Yeah. Just own your truth. So a few days later, October 13th, 2017, 32-year-old Monica Hoffa was found in tall grass in an overgrown vacant lot by a landscaper, which those were some details. I was like, I, you know, if you, Wait, if you say somebody's like found dead in a lot, but if you add the context of like tall yeah. grass, because then it makes you think of like you as the landscaper going to like cl- clear out the grass and you're like, what the fuck? You want to know what my first thought was? What? Was he like trimming the grass and like hit her body? Oh my God, Kevin. I know. Awful. I know. <laughs> Wasn't that traumatic? Ugh. 100% traumatic. No. Ugh, Monica. I mean, finding a dead body in general is traumatic though. I would think so. I've never done that. I never have either. And I don't want to do that. I would like to not yeah. either. Also, we should clarify, please don't murder us in general. Thank you. <laughs> or murder and or, murder anybody. Or anybody. Like if you're listening to this, like, ugh, here's my, here's my beef about programs like Datelines and Forensic Files. Yeah. If you watch those fucking shows, they give you every single thing to do to clean up your murder. Oh, yeah. Well, they teach you what not to do. I that's, know. That's what our podcast is going to be, us telling stories of people killing other I people know. and how they didn't get away with it. No, this is not an educational podcast. No, this is not. Guys. This is a narrative. <laughs> this is not for this children. storytelling. <laughs> okay, anyway. So, Monica. Monica, interestingly enough, was on her way to also meet a friend on the evening of October 11th. So remember, this is the 13th when her mm-hmm. body is found. So she actually, the last time that she was seen oh, was, was at 8.45. Yeah. Uh, so she was last seen on October 11th at 8.45 p.m. Benjamin was killed by four shots uh, to him. Monica, her body was found about a half a mile from where Mitchell was murdered. Mm-hmm. So it was not that far in general. And uh, she actually was only shot three times. So she was shot once in her neck and then twice in her back. Oh my gosh. Which is awful. Like right? from the back? Yeah, so like twice in the back. So like both of them didn't see their killer. Yeah. Also, for murderers, if you're going to kill somebody, let them see you. Rude. Right? Right? Like super fucked up. Like who they can tell? October 13th, here we go. Monica, poor thing. This obviously kickstarted a little bit of like interest, right? To be like, oh shit. Neither victim actually showed any signs of assault. 
at all. And there was also no sign of robbery. So it was ruled out immediately as a motive. Yeah. Which I found to be really kind of interesting in general that they could like know that. But in well, both. they have everything. True. I, true. Uh, okay. So several bullets, uh, spent bullet shell casings were found like in both of the areas. So they, they already knew that both people had died from the same gun, yeah. which was a 40 caliber Glock, which I don't even know what the fuck that is. I, I don't know if you did. I don't. Okay. Your brother would. 100% he would. <laughs> For sure. We'll talk about Joe in yeah. a minute. Uh, Brandon's brother. So jump forward just a few days. So October 19th, 2017, there's another person mm -hmm. killed. So this time it was 22-year-old Anthony Neboa, I think is how you say his name. This was a cool kid. He had been working a temp job packing meals for hurricane victims. I know. So he actually had, uh, this story's fucked up. So basically, Anthony had gotten on the wrong bus, got off of the bus to get to the right bus, and was killed in between oh that gosh. time. So if he didn't get off the bus, it just... yeah. So, which is fucked up. So, in addition to that, he was actually autistic. So, it's even makes it even fucking. I mean, murder in general is awful, but like this kid yeah. was, I yeah, awful. This particular murder happened several hundred feet from where the first victim had been killed ten days prior to that. Oh, so, like, so just right there, all right in the same area. Yeah, which I think is like fuck. So that's actually more so when the police started to be like, "In okay, these are connected." <laughs> Now, insert something a little bit different. We lived in the neighborhood. So these people were getting murdered just blocks, blocks away from, from our, our house. house. So I'm living in South Florida. I'm alone in our house with our, with our tiny Boston Terrier who's not going to protect anything. No, a murderer would come in and she'd be like, hey, uh, <laughs> <My> friend, <hi." laughs> will you pet me We first? did not do well as parents. When we were living there, since uh, our relationship's interesting and I'm aggressive and like kind of 100%. The, the one that would probably like get a bat and go after somebody absolutely i don't have a gun but maybe i should so at the time brandon was alone at the house in this neighborhood that was a transitional neighborhood but we also lived on 22nd street which 22nd and 10th in tampa is the was the biggest drug corner in all of tampa allegedly allegedly it was 100 percent. we would drive by and there would be tables of drugs set up I mean, it happened maybe a couple times. All right. <laughs> Brandon actually reached out to his brother, Joe, uh, who lives not too far from us. And um, Well, actually, I think Joe reached out to me. I oh, think he? I think he reached out and was like, hey, you're living in a neighborhood with a serial killer. <laughs> Do you want to borrow a gun? That's and right. I'm like, yes, please. Yes. I don't, I've never, I've gone to the shooting range once and I'm terrified about guns. So sure, <laughs> I'll take a gun. So scare the shit out of me even driving it uh, to the house. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Well then tell your little story about you going out into the backyard with Marty with the gun. So you're just going to call me out like that. Yeah, in the first tell episode. us, tell us. Okay. So we had, we had just bought the house a couple months prior. We didn't finish the, the side of the fence of the, the side of the house where the fence was, wasn't finished so it was completely open on the side and we had no lighting in the back so if we went to go take the dog out i had to bring her outside on a leash and so i was terrified because i couldn't see it was really dark there was an abandoned house behind us mm -hmm. so it was just dark and scary so i went out there with the gun but i was too terrified to even have the gun on me so i kept the I don't even know what it's called. The, the, magaz the, magazine, the magazine and the, the rest of the gun separate yeah. because I didn't want to put it together and just potentially shoot myself, which in hindsight, if somebody was coming up to attack me, the first thing I'm going to do is not going to sit here and try to put a gun together. Yeah, those motherfuckers would have gotten a free gun. Up. Exactly. And then I would have gotten shot. <laughs> yeah. I would have died that day. So cute. This is why I would need to be there. <laughs> yes. Um, 
What, time, uh, what would I do? Well, okay, here's a great story, actually. So another time, not too long after this, remember that big oak tree that was in our neighbor's oh, yard? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. One night, we're dead asleep. It's like three in the morning. It's was like it? between three and five. Okay. It was, um, we were dead asleep. Dead asleep. And I sleep in underwear at this point, which TMI, but it <laughs> adds value to the story. All of a sudden, we heard what we thought was like a bomb. It was The house so shook. It was a fucking weird. So I freaked out, grabbed the gun in my underwear, run outside did i run outside i ran you outside did. you ran right up our neighbors are out there and i'm like ah, with the with gun, gun. <laughs> in my underwear and i'm like oh god <laughs> and there was just a big ass fucking oak tree in our yard across the street it had smashed a car across it was fucked up that was the other part i mean of that you sure gun. protected us though Sh- sure Ugh. okay so back to this incredible story so we were really close to where these murders were happening and it was actually pretty it was pretty scary. Now, we, we weren't, yeah. like, walking around in general. No. But a lot of people in that area were, we're lower scared. income. They didn't have cars. Like, yep. they took public transportation. So it was a scary kind of time. November 14th, so a little bit longer away, right? It was about a month. Six-year-old Ronald Felton was killed. He was actually murdered just blocks from where a memorial was set up for the other three victims. Oh my gosh. Which is fucked up. So Ronald... So he's like in his own neighborhood. Yeah. Like, ugh. So, which is interesting because if they're all being killed within that area, I'm sure the cops mm-hmm. are like, this bitch lives over here. Oh, for sure. For sure. Here's what's... Okay, so on Nebraska Avenue, not too far from our house, there are food... There's a food pantry. There's a few. He, Ronald, worked at a food pantry on Nebraska Avenue. And he was... It was like five in the morning. Oh my gosh. And he was on his way to... To like be a good Samaritan. Yeah. So Ronald was on his way to meet a church pastor and was crossing a street and was shot and killed. Like gunned down. Just walking across the street. Walking across the street. Yeah. So like so random, right? So and I think that at the time the cops were like, this is fucking random. Uh, It was all over the news. I remember being all over the news. It was kind of a big deal. And they were like, this like, be careful. This is all random. We don't Mm -hmm. find any ties to this, like whatever. But they knew it was a serial killer. And they were calling him a serial killer by then. Yeah. Fast forward November 28th, 2017. McDonald's in Ybor City. We have been there so many times. So many times. (laughs) Because we've been drunk. And went to McDonald's or just went because we're overweight. Okay. So McDonald's, Ybor City. A lot of people know this McDonald's. A cop is sitting at a table eating um, what I'm assuming is a Big Mac. I don't know. Let's just add that in. Uh, Actually, don't. He was eating. eating. That's all I know. (laughs) Eating hamburger and the manager comes up to him and she's like, "My, my employee, Howard Donaldson III, just handed me this bag. It feels like it might be a gun. He left to go get money and said that I needed to, that he wanted to keep it because he had done something really bad and is going to leave or whatever. What? Just gave it to his manager. Yeah. yeah. Which I have conflicting stories. One of them said it was like in a paper bag and then another one said it was like in a sandwich bag, which. Uh, a sandwich bag guns? could be a, Like a like brown a sandwich, sandwich bag? bag? Like a Wonder Bread sandwich bag? That's like a mini gun, like from Men in Black. Pew, pew. You know, like that's not, that's not a big, okay. Anyway, (laughs) when Donaldson returned from like getting this money, uh, he was arrested on suspicion. So he originally didn't deny that the gun was his, but he did deny that the murders, or he did deny the, the murders in general, but he did consent to a search of his vehicle. What's interesting about this is that when they searched his vehicle, they found two clues, which was the clothing. Remember that the first murder that was caught on camera? The clothing matched that. What he was wearing. Yes. And then there was blood on the clothing. And he just as kept well. it in his car. Well, this yeah. was like less than a month, right? Just a month later. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because like who is, 
and I don't work at this McDonald's, but like if somebody came up to me and they were like, here, hold this package. And I got it and I felt a gun. I'd be like, oh my God. Yeah, what the fuck uh, is yeah. this? What the, so like I wouldn't. I mean, technically I they know. did if they went to the police officer. No, they did. But like I, I just like the thought process of like, what do you. It's anyway. more, I would say it's more the thought process of, of like, okay, hands. let me give this evidence to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Who could easily just turn me in. Yeah. So after that, of course, they had the gun. So they matched or, or they tested all the, the shell casings and everything. And they matched the gun and all of the murders. Uh, or th- I think it was maybe three of the murders. So they also, he like said, yes, you can take my phone. So they also figured that uh, with his phone records, the phone matched three mm-hmm. of the murders location wise. I do think that this is really interesting. So the the manager at McDonald's who got the gun and reported him, her name was Delanda Walker. And Delanda walked away with $110,000 for turning him in. Damn, girl. Right? So in that point, I'd be like, yeah, give me the guy. Yeah, right. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. I know that after that trial, it was really rough because his parents were like not letting. uh, There was a lot happening in general with them having to like get a confession, but like just a lot with that. So anyway, 2017 is when this happened. This actually, this last October slash right now, this October marks six years. Has it really been six years? Yeah, it was like 2018, 19, 20, 21. Yeah. So with that, the actual trial just ended in may yeah and so the trial ended with um hal donaldson the third admitting that he did shoot and kill all four of those people Good. so he did plead guilty to avoid the death penalty did he ever say why he just why he no. them why he did it like just he just went up to totally people. random his lawyers tried to so he was diagnosed schizophrenic and his lawyers definitely tried to like use that yeah um, in general it didn't work like just at all and Florida is really interesting when it comes to like crime and, and convicts, particularly with, with minorities. So there's some weird stuff, I think, with the trial in general. But he did um, admit to killing all four people and is now serving four consecutive uh, life sentences. Yes, that should be. You're First one down. I know. that That's scary a little bit because that, that shit can be that random. Yeah. That you just don't know. But I feel like most murders are not usually that random. No, it, they're mostly all calculated or they're thinking about something. Brandon, tell us your story. Are you excited? This is my yeah. very first homicide podcast episode that I started <sighs> dun, last dun, year. Dun. This is Brandon's first. This, there's a lot of firsts here. It's my first time. Yeah. All right. Popping my do you need the do you, do you need the little, the little <laughs> inspiring, right. queenie little... <laughs> And this is the story of Victor Licata. Victor? The Dream Slayer. The Dream Slayer? The Dream Shut Slayer. The, you know I love anything with Slayer. <laughs> because of Buffy the yes. Vampire Slayer. <laughs> I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Sarah Michelle Geller, if you're listening to us, I love you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because she'll be listening to the very first episode. She, uh, she might. Yeah. I mean, Don't you never know. Dreams. Oh my God. <laughs> right? She may be one of our 113 TikTok followers. And if you're not following <laughs> us on TikTok yet, go check us out. <laughs> Thank you, 113. But Brandon, I think it's at 117 now. But Ooh. I know. Thank you. But Sarah Michelle Geller, just as a quick little segue. Yeah. When I was younger, I wanted, I was very confused. I wanted to both be her and I also wanted to date her. Oh. But mostly be her because I was a flaming homosexual. <laughs> so that's the story. That was great. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> okay. Tell us. Okay, cool. So. For my first episode, I decided to choose somebody that I've never heard of. And I did a little bit of digging um, to see if there's other podcasts. And there's only a couple, so I'm excited to share this one. Like you mean podcasts that have featured this murder? That has featured oh. only a couple. Okay, cool. And this is an older older murder. It's in the, the 30s. So there was a lot of 
differentiating information that I found out about mm. it. But mm. I tried my best to combine it into one narrative that makes the most sense. Got so it. first, thank you for that great intro to uh, Ybor City, because that's actually where my murder is from. Oh, shut up. That doesn't surprise yeah. me. So what Kevin didn't also add in there is that Ybor City used to be Cigar City. So there was tons of cigar factories in, in Ybor City. And with the cigars, with Prohibition, came the mob. So the mob was a really big and active in Tampa. Uh, that was the Italian mob and the Cuban mob for, for a really long time. And it's really how the city grew. There was Prohibition was big, and then there was gambling. and It's a lot of corruption. Yeah, so there's yeah. a lot of corruption and crime within it. So my story is about Victor Licata. He was born in 1912 to immigrant parents Michael and Rosalia Licata. 1912. That was he was alive when the Titanic year. sank. Oh, is that when it's Wait, eight, April 14, 1912. Oh my god, maybe not. Wait. Well, it depends on when then. April 14, 1912. I don't I'm, I'm trying to hear Rose do what you came up saying it, but I can't remember. All right. Okay, well, I'll keep going. Anyway. <laughs> um <laughs> so Victor always seemed to be a typical boy, although he was not unfriendly. He was a very quiet kid, and many friends talked about him being soft-spoken and People often described him as queer. So he was you. Um, I'm not a serial. I'm not a killer. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, back in that time, yeah. queer meant strange or peculiar. I know. Uh, it's not what it means now, which yeah, weird. is pretty queer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Uh, so Michael Licata, uh, Victor Licata's dad, was pretty well liked and respected in the area because he owned, I saw he either owned multiple so two or one barbershop called eagles barbershop uh there was hmm. some different information about that but i don't think that really matters but he was really well known in the neighborhood and in ebor because ebor had a really tight community at that point so everybody knew him and so they had so he was soft-spoken queer and no, a barber no that's michael oh shit victor was queer and soft-spoken michael was the father of victor got it yeah all right well should we write things down for you? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> you're such a bitch. Oh, you're welcome. <sighs> um, anyways, as Victor grew up to be a little bit older, people started to grow cautious of him. For two years prior to the killing, which we'll get to, mm. neighbors and friends uh, were touting how crazy and unstable he was. Uh, that being Victor. Hold on, Marty. Marty. Marty, go to bed. Go to bed. Martina's walking around like she's like investigating. She all is. Right, all right, go ahead. So in today's world, we wouldn't call Victor crazy. He was just, it was evident that he had untreated medical disorders. Mm. Suffering from spells of psychosis, he had issues deciphering what was real and what was not, which is terrifying. That and his known use of marijuana in the six months leading up to the murders, people grew scared of Victor. So back then, people didn't know much about marijuana and yeah. it was... Uh, People it's medicinal. had this, oh, mm. yes, it was going through a lot of, it was being used in a lot of drugs, but also people were kind of scared because of its psychedelic properties yeah. that they said and all this, whatever. So because of this and other interactions with Lakata and what neighbors and what family and people were saying, a year before the murders, the local Tampa police filed a lunacy petition against him to try to get him locked up, which is... So Terrifying. This is all prior to murder. This is all prior to murder. Wow. This is this is the setup to the murder. Wow. So, Anna, so, are you gooped and gagged right now? I'm gooped and gagged. I figured. <laughs> okay. So uh, now for a little bit more of bad decision making. Victor's parents insisted with the police that they could give him better care and watch over him better. And they begged him to keep him in their care. And they vowed to increase their oversight on his behavior just to get the police to go away. Wow. 
So, like, for me, if this was my child, I would be like, um, yeah, let's maybe go get this checked. Like, if, why not? Let's just bring him to the hospital. Just a doctor. Let's put him in mm-hmm. care whatever. Mm-hmm. His, uh, Victor wasn't a very large man. He was about 5'8", 127 Ooh. pounds. So he was a little, a little man. So he didn't come off as a big threat. However, it is reported that his family was terrified of him. So they protected him, but they were scared, to the, even to the point where many sources said that his father would keep a gun underneath the mattress. What the fuck? Right? He would keep a gun underneath the mattress uh, just in case. Okay, if you had a child that was... I feel like there was a movie with Elijah Wood in it that was like something like this. But in Macaulay Culkin, I don't know. If you were a parent that had a child like this what would you do brandon you first if i had a child that i thought might kill me i would probably i don't know bring them like i just said to a a mental facility have them go talk to people like i don't want to have to sleep with a gun under my mouth i know anna what would you do i mean it's it's hard there's not a lot of protections yeah. <laughs> things like that clearly i mean he had yeah. a, this dad yeah. had a gun under his pillow or yeah. bed oh my god yeah. so any of you listeners if you have to sleep with a gun under your bed <laughs> make some decisions yes. something needs to change yes, because yep. things might happen so oh my god okay so on the night of october 16th 1933 which is actually really crazy because it's the 15th that we're recording this also all the serial killer murders in Seminole heights we're happened in october, in october. It's crazy. And November, but three of them in October. Oh my god! Ew. Okay. Oh. I'm sorry. Wrong button again. No, but that was exciting. Please that was a, that was a. <laughs> so okay. So on the night of October 16th, uh, Victor Lakata was tormented by a nightmare. Oh my god! Don't forget, he's the dream slayer. <gasps> right. So in this dream, Victor remembers being pulled from his bed by his father. And being pinned against the wall. So just imagine this. Somebody taking somebody and pinning him up against the wall. His mother then came running into the room with a huge carving knife. And they sawed off his arms and jabbed wooden prosthetic arms with iron claws attached to them to his bloody stumps. And this is like from what all the sources say is what he said. This was a dream. This was his dream. Okay. Yeah. All the while, his siblings were watching and laughing. So Victor said in his dream, he grabbed an axe, but it was a funny one, like a rubbery, like it was from a cartoon, which kind of reminds me of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Do you remember that? There, it was like, a hammer, though, right? It was or... a hammer. It was guns. Oh, it was yeah. Like rubbery. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I just pictured in my head. Um, and he knocked each one of his families unconscious with it. And then wrung the blood from it as though it was a wet towel. So in this dream, the blows knocked them out, but he insisted he did not kill them in this dream. Okay. Right? Fucking weird. <laughs> okay. So Have you this... ever had a dream like that, Kevin? No. Uh, <laughs> I do not dream of that kind of shit. Yeah, me neither. Oh okay. So... The next day, a neighbor started to get concerned. There was one story that I read that there was a neighbor who heard noises at 2 a.m., um, but I couldn't really fact that one or really have a lot of sources that said that. But allegedly, there was somebody that heard something around 2 a.m. So in this tight-knit community, um, it was uncommon for no one to step out of the Lakata house that day, mm. with Michael owning his own business and there being... Two of the children in the house were school-aged. Something didn't sit right, and the neighbors decided to call the police for a wellness check. 
So when the police arrived to their typical Ybor City bungalow, which oh. we've talked about. To love a good Ybor uh, City bungalow. In yeah. Ybor specifically, I guess this is a Tampa thing. It, they're also called casitas, mm-hmm. obviously, this yeah. the Spanish term for home. But when they got to the door, no one answered the locked doors and they had to find their way in. So entering the home through a window, they found Victor hiding in a bathroom, curled up in a chair, dazed and confused, and he was murmuring incomprehensibly, which is terrifying. He was dressed in a white shirt and well-pressed trousers as if he had woken up that morning and like started his day. But That's below so his clothing was stained with blood. I'm, I'm picturing like this gorgeous ivory like pressed outfit and just this like stained in blood. Yeah. Is that basically what it Well, was? no, his oh. outer clothing was not stained. His skin oh. was stained with blood. Ew. As ew. if he, so at some point, so he changed his blood clothing. Yes, and put new, fresh clothing on. So, Ooh, motherfucker, it's crazy. Um, yeah, so after a bit, a bit, the police started to understand him, and he was mumbling. They heard him saying that his family was trying to dismember him and replace his arms with wooden ones. So he's mumbling this whole time, and he's saying things like, by about his dream the mm-hmm. night before mm-hmm. so the way the house was set up the bathroom was all the way in the back of the home so by the time victor or the police found victor uh they had already walked through the entire mm-hmm. home so imagine, very typical for a bungalow by the way in yeah, tampa the bathroom, the bathroom, all the way the back, back of the house yeah. so imagine stepping through a window and walking down the hallways peeking in every room first you walk by the first bedroom on the left wedged between the wall and uh, in the bed with a blow to his head, drenched in blood, they see Michael Licata. So, Victor's father. Uh, so, from the police port said, there was signs of struggle because he was wedged in between the wall and the bed. He was only 47. Oh, a little nugget. Yeah. So, continuing on, they found his sister, Providence, who was 22, and his youngest brother, Jose, who was only eight, dead with obvious signs leading to axe wounds. In the second bedroom to the left. So it wasn't a rubber axe. It was not a rubber axe, nor I think it wasn't a dream either. Can we take a pause and just celebrate the name Providence? Right. It's a really cute girl's name. It's super name. pretty. Oh, and it's a heart. really beautiful town in Rhode Island. Also that, yeah. Okay, anyways. <laughs> then in the, in the last bedroom of the house, they found his mother, Rosilia. She was 44. Dead next to Victor's 14-year-old brother, Philip Licata. Lying next to a bloody axe, still breathing and moving, <gasps> they rushed him to the hospital. Where then he did he did die a few years, oh, a few no. years, a few hours later. The Tampa Daily Times reported on October seventeenth that, and this is directly from them, each was apparently killed by blows on or just above the right temple by the blunt edge of the axe. Inspection of the bodies revealed head injuries only. The faces of the mother and the father were mangled and apparently had been struck more than once. Only one wound each appeared on the younger sister and boy. Eyes of all of the victims were blackened and swollen. Like, how graphic was that in the newspaper? It's also very, especially at that time. But what's interesting, though, is that these were all, that's a whole group ass of people. And he was one person. Yeah. Like, like how, how, yeah. Like, was it one by one each time somebody came home? Well, I it, it doesn't say in here, yeah. um, but he did go room by room at least. So Jesus it had Christ. to have some sort of whatever. And it's also the middle of the night. So he's true. I just those bungalows are, are quite they're small. small. I mean, they're I'm what, 1200 I mean, they're feet thick. They're like all wood yeah. in general. But yeah, wow. Yeah. So as the police uh, started to escort 
Victor out of the house, crowds of people started gathering around to see what was going on. Mm-hmm. And this was before phones and news and whatever. And so people just had to get out of their house. So they all <laughs> swarmed. And once people started to hear what happened and turned into kind of a spectacle with people starting to scream, get him and kill him. Oh, my God. Um, and, and there was like, I read a report that there was like a ton of people yeah. out screaming this in front of the house. After police questioning, Victor never said that he murdered them. He told them about the dream he had, but he never killed anyone. So one officer even asked him, why did you kill your family? And his response was, did I do that? You, uh, did I do that? Ew, what is that from? Did I do that? Yeah, that's oh, wait, Steve is that Urkel. Steve Urkel? Yes, that's Family Matters. Ew, that was creepy. Right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so jumping back to when Victor was younger, and as I said, he had some misdiagnosed mental yeah. disorders. Yeah. Through this, Victor ended up being diagnosed with dementia paracox, I think is how you say it, with homicidal tendencies. So it's now called schizophrenia. So he was schizophrenic. Oh, yeah. With homicidal tendencies, because I don't believe that always comes with schizophrenia. You just said homicidal tendencies. (laughs) Oh my god. Uh, I'll just say that was purposeful. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, which at this time, state attorney Rex Ferrier didn't believe him, and he intended to seek seek a murder indictment against Victor. He was even quoted saying, from the testimony I have, there is no indication that Victor Licato was insane three days before the slaying. There is evidence that he was addicted to marijuana cigarettes and reason to believe he was under hallucination at the time of the slayings. It may be possible he was subjected to hallucinations from the the doped cigarettes on previous occasions, but the testimony shows he was not insane, but it was in possession of normal faculties on Friday night. Faculties? I don't think that was the word I was supposed to say. This one. Definitely spelled faculties. It is, right? All right. Well. And that was a direct quote. I copied and pasted. And I read to myself and didn't realize. Oh, Maybe we anyways. just misunderstand the word and how it's used. For sure. We. Not anyways. Um, <laughs> now, many in his family knew that this was actually true, that Victor had a mental illness, because it was not an uncommon thing in the Licata family. So, at trial, a psychiatrist <laughs> argued that he was subject to hereditary insanity so he had two cousins and a great uncle that was committed to an asylum and it's also alleged that one of his brothers also suffered from dementia proxy paracox Um, and (laughs) in the day there was some uh, questionable marriage arrangements so like the fact that his parents were first cousins no which they also said could have played a role yeah so (laughs) maybe yeah gross (laughs) So at the trial, most of his extended family um, attended and begged to not give Victor the death penalty, uh, which is interesting to me that you he would he kill his whole your family, f- entire family. But yeah. being that they knew that they had mental disorder, that yeah. also he was like their cousin, brother, yeah, uncle, as well. Correct. <laughs> a few weeks after trial, a judge finally deemed Victor as criminally insane and ordered the sheriff to turn him over to a psychiatrist, and Victor was never charged for the murder of his entire family. What? Uh-huh. So instead, he was committed to life at a Florida hospital for the insane in Chattahoochee, Florida, and the judge ordered him to never be released. I mean... It's crazy, right? Yeah. Well, it's not over. What? I have more for you, but No. Yes. Uh... So, on October 15th, 1945... Wait, wait, what year was the murders? That, what, 1933. So okay, after being okay. in the mental hospital for 12 years, Victor, alongside 
four other patients sawed through the the bars covering up their windows and escaped the institution. I'm sorry. <laughs> how did they Full, saw um, through? I don't I didn't see how or how he did it or how they did it, but they just said they sawed through the bars covering up the windows. I just see like people In chewing room. up bars. I don't yes, know why. yes. They yeah. sawed it with their own bare teeth. Nom, 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 nom. <laughs> Wow. So quickly, the police were able to apprehend the four other patients, but Victor was nowhere to be found. Right? Victor. I know I loved the story. I mean, not the fact that it's a murder, but I thought it was an interesting story. So in 1950, five years after his escape, that's what I was trying to say. Which he had not been found. He had not been found okay, in five okay. years. Okay. So he was he had escaped five years. His cousin Philip was working at the restaurant that he owned in New Orleans. And I'm sure you could imagine the surprise on his face when he sees his cousin Victor just walk through the through the door. So he was obviously scared out of his mind. He, and he called the police who came to arrest Lakata and brought him to Rayford, I think it's pronounced uh, state prison in North Florida. So because Victor escaped the mental institution, he was held at Rayford uh, for safekeeping, even though he was a patient of the, mes- the, me- the mental hospital. After about four months, uh, Victor ended up hanging himself uh, with a bedsheet inside of his prison, so, so he died by suicide. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I'm still not done. Oh, well, there's a little, there's, this one had a few oh. different layers to it. So. Also, thank you for saying died by suicide. You're welcome. We're That's... not giving him any, you know, grace or anything. <laughs> Fuck sure. him. But, but also, yep. yeah, died by suicide. Now, when the murder happened, mm-hmm. there was no TV, no internet, no radio. And I'm sorry, there was radio. It had just started to gain popularity. So there mm-hmm. was no mm-hmm. TV, no internet, no popular culture, really. It was sure. just. It was just the newspaper. So sure. the people relied on getting their information from the newspaper. But just like any other media outlet, there was a lot of newspapers at the time. And it was basically like reality TV. They just wrote stories and threw it out there just to put it out. So there's a lot of information that's not true about the Lakata case in general. Mm. And I have a note in here. So it's no different than today's news like Fox. <laughs> <laughs> so, so okay. So remember to the beginning when I mentioned Victor smoked weed. Yes. Uh, very early on in the investigation, the word of his marijuana use came out in uh, Chief W.D. Bush, who was the investigating, who was investigating the crime, heard reports that the night before, Victor spent the evening drinking moonshine and smoking weed. So because of this, he made comments stating that cannabis may have unbalanced Victor's mind, at least temporarily, into the newspapers went crazy. So the Tampa Morning Tribute stated that Chief W.D. Bush said, Maybe the weed only had a small indirect part in the alleged insanity of the youth, the chief explained. But I am declaring now for the time that the increasing use of this narcotic must stop and be stopped. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great so, Republican talking then, point at the time. Exactly. And still kind of is. So I just copied a few different articles and snippets from articles at the time. So the Tampa Times on October 17th reported, the kind of nightmare that lifts its ugly head out of a deadly combination of raw moonshine and dope. <laughs> Officers viewing the scene of the tragedy. Tragedy? Tragedy? You're so... Okay, Brandon's I'm dyslexic. A little dyslexic. Should, <laughs> no, literally, we were sitting at the computer. <laughs> you were sitting at the computer yesterday, and he was like, it's 273. And I was like... It's seven twenty-three. I, was, I can't help it. I'm yeah, he's sorry. severely dyslexic. Listen, this is I'm not the try first my time. Best. You're so fucking <laughs> cute. Oh my god. All right. <laughs> okay. Anyways, officers viewing the scene of the tragedy. Trad- why can't I just say the word? 
Holy shit. Tragedy. Let me just help you. Tragedy. There you go. You. Oh, so good. Um, and now I lost Proud of you. Declared anew their war on the marijuana traffic. Mm. The Tampa Daily Times on October 18th reported with headlines, Stamp out this weed of flaming murder. Marijuana. <laughs> Smoke that fl- inflames the brain. Vapor that turns the blood to seething, boiling lava. Oh, Witness yesterday, oh. a slain, a family slain, a loved son behind bars, and his fin- fingerprints on the murder acts. And... Every law enforcement agency in Hillsborough County was ready today to open a fight to the f- to finish. Man, I need to do Are better at done? this. Sorry, no. <laughs> Just kidding. I know it's because I'm actually reading it. Every agency in the Hillsborough County was ready today to open a fight to finish against the sale of marijuana, the narcotic which indirectly caused the murder of a family of five Tampanians. Coining the name Marijuana Maniac, Victor's crime was. Uh, the launching point for the anti-drug laws. Yes. So the case served to be an inspiration for media deceptions um, of normal people driven criminally insane. Which only got worse. Exactly. So what doesn't help change that narrative is that at the same time, uh, Harry J. Angsler became the first head of the Federal Narcotics Bureau, which later evolved to the DEA. Mm. So as prohibition neared its end, the agency had a hyper-focus on heroin and cocaine. And then noticing marijuana was turned into a popular drug, he set his eyes for it. So with Victor already being labeled the marijuana maniac, he was used as an, as an example by every political figure that had an anti-marijuana stance. Thank you, Tampa. Engsler mm-hmm. um, fed into it in the news articles and promoted the anti-marijuana storylines. He would state, in Florida, police found a youth staggering about in a human slaughterhouse with an axe. He had killed his father, mother, two brothers, and a sister Ordinarily a sane, rather quiet young man, he had become crazed from smoking marijuana. Uh So through his influence and the media, Angsler was able to convince Congress to pass the Marijuana Act of 1937, Mm. which levied taxes on those who dealt marijuana commercially or prescribed it professionally because up until 1937, marijuana was still used as a prescription medicine. So interesting that laws at that time have severely impacted where we are today. Yeah. 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 I blame incest. Right. <laughs> I would agree with that. Incest is the wrong choice, friends. Right. <laughs> so this was the first step into the criminalization of marijuana and the government used Victor as bait. Wow. So now there's a conspiracy. There's a conspiracy. Come, 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 come. <laughs> I'll get better, I promise. Uh, that Ainsler did not have the public safety in mind that some say mm. he was influenced by the DuPont family whose paper business was threatened by the hemp industry. Oh. Um, and also being friends with the Hearst family, which is one of the largest newspaper publishers at the time mm-hmm. aided, aided into the campaign against the drug. Interesting. So a few days after the murder, chief Bush did come out downplaying the role on the drug has had in the murder and the worst of it. When Victor was taken into custody and was tested, there was no trace of marijuana in his system. I was going to say, because marijuana is probably the thing that would help him like not be so. Exactly. It would probably chill out those, Thank you. Um, those weird so thoughts. The drug was never even referenced in any of any of the reports. Wow. Yeah. So wow. um, some interesting facts. Some of these I only saw in one place. Some of these I saw uh, multiple places. But Victor had another brother who happened to be away at the time at Stetson University. And in, in one night, his entire family Jesus. died. Well, except for his crazy brother. Yeah. 
Since Victor was found without blood on his clothes, people first thought that this was mafia-related because at the time, mafia was really evident in the neighborhood. And then at the same time, roughly (laughs) 1920... I was going to say, you know the mafia was like, no, that's fucked up. That was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So, and then roughly at the same time, 1926 to 1927, this is how fucked up Tampa it can be. There was another axe murderer running around Tampa. What the fuck, Um, Tampa? Ten people were killed by a Benjamin Levins. Well, he was connected to at least five of them. And I think he was charged for all five, for five of them, but... Uh, they were all believed to be connected. So that might end up being another story at some point. Benjamin. Yeah. And then now from this, there was a movie that came about called Reefer Madness that was released in 1936. And it was influenced by... The title sounds by, really familiar, but I likely have not seen it. Yeah. So, But yeah. it was influenced by the story. Wow. Brandon, that was fucked up. Right? I told you. I was like, it's, it has layers. It's also interesting because I could picture the whole thing only because like our old office was in a, a casita uh-huh. on 19th and Ebor by Centennial Park. And like, yeah. I just feel like that was what, like the scene. Yeah. Oh my God. All right, guys. That was our very first episode. Yeah. Now that wasn't so bad. A year in the making. Year in the making. It was not bad. And good stories. How did you feel? Absolutely incredible. That all of that made me feel so good inside. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Thank you. I feel so light and safe. <laughs> I feel so inspired. <laughs> She's like, and I'm not going to take that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I know. Murders aren't, well, I don't know. Murders everywhere. But we do hope that you enjoyed this very first episode yes. of Homicide the Podcast and cue our sparkles. <laughs> I know, I love it. Anna, thank you for producing our podcast. Yes, of course. And don't and forget to uh, yeah. subscribe, follow, oh, go on our things. socials, do all of that. Yeah, so we are basically going to be posting content, different content, I believe, on all of our social media platforms. So if you haven't yet, you can catch us uh, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. And then we'll be on YouTube. Hi, go subscribe there. TikTok, which will be our main platform. But of course, we're on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. We are not on the thing called X, which used to be Twitter, which should be Twitter again, but it's called X. So don't go there. But um, <laughs> we will be on everything else. Leave a rating and review because that's and that that's that. That's what helps must. us grow. I mean, but why wouldn't you? I know, right? That's weird. But don't leave us a bad one. Right? <laughs> Rude. If you're going like, to say something bad about us being gay, then uh, keep it to yourself. Yeah, and then I'm going to get your handle and call you out on our podcast. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Again, <no. laughs> Which one are you trying for? There the was like a... Like, I don't know. There's also <laughs> birds, right? There are birds. We'll, that, p- we'll put is that the right moment oh. <laughs> that's a moment <laughs> that's we'll, the moment we'll put put all the bad ones in our burn book yes oh i do love a good burn book uh, next uh episode brandon do you want to talk about what our next theme is yes next episode uh we decided to go with our next love which is new york mm, our first love i mean my first love would be you but i guess no god <laughs> sorry um <laughs> So yeah, we will be diving into some New York City murders. Which, you know, plethora in this great, old, beautiful, lovely city. Every city, really. Tampa clearly was fucked up. So <laughs> we'll see what we can match with uh, New York City. Oh, All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.